called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Please be seated. If you'd like to take one of these red songbooks out of your book rack that's in front of you, turn that to page number 100 or 671. That will be a more accurate outline than you even have within your bulletin. This is one of my favorite songs that's found within the book that we sing. It always reminds me of my cousin Kyle, and it reminds me of the Indian Creek Youth Camp. You see, Kyle is a haze at heart. And um, he's very kind. And at the same time, he knows that I like this song enough that it makes me cry. And uh, he liked to lead that before I would preach just to see if I could handle it. And um, majority of the time, the answer is no. I did much better today than I do most times, but I appreciate that song being led. And it's good for us to look at songs that we sing because it is the fact in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15, we are commanded by God to understand the things that we sing. We don't just sing just anything, and we don't just sing things because the music portion of it sounds good, but we do sing about God's greatness. That's a good thing. We sing about the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us on that cross, and that's a good thing. And we sing about heaven and, and gathering with those who are, will be there and, and how much uh, joy will be there. And that's a, a great thing. And for us to sing about all of those things, what we need to sing about and understand within our life probably the most is the song Pure in Heart. It was written by a lady by the name of Fanny Estelle Church Davison. In 1877, as you look in your book, it'll probably say, could say Mrs. A.L. Davidson or just A.L. Davidson. A.L. was her husband. And she wrote this song in its moving words when she was 20. Now, turn the hands of time back to when you were 20. I would have not written a song like that, and the songs I would have written, no one would want to sing. Seems like, uh, as you research her, she wrote about 650 songs so that the congregation she attended had her songbook. That is, every song in the book that they sang was written by her. And that's an amazing idea for those, especially uh, who might be bent toward music. Um, one of the things that the church uh, would need would be good sound songs. So 
put your talent to use and, and we will continue uh, to thrive as a church as she sings about the holiness and the righteousness of God. There's an overlying principle found in the, in the song, Pure in Heart, O God, Help Me to Be. And the song ends, Purer in Heart, O God, Help Me to Be. I can look around our city, our state, our country, I can look around our world, and I can point out to you people who are doing wrong. If you want me to, then just hang out with me one day and I'll just point those things out. And the next day, I'll hang out with you and you can point those things out. We're really good about finding people who are doing things wrong, aren't we? What if I did that same thing to the guy's face I shave? What if I looked at me in the same way that I look at everybody else? That's what this song is about. It's not about the person to your left. It's not about the person to your right or in front of you or behind you. It's about the one sitting in your seat. Purer in heart, O oh God, help me. Help me to be. That's the start and the finish of this particular Song. Look at verse 1. Purer in heart, O God, help me to be. May I devote my life wholly to Thee. Watch Thou my wayward feet. Guide me with counsel sweet. Purer in heart, O God, help me to be. Verse 1 indicates that you and I need to be purer in heart so that I can devote my life unto God. And as Miss, I forgot her last name now. Church is in there somewhere, Davison. As Miss Davison writes this, notice how she writes this, that I may devote my life wholly to Thee. And sometimes we look at it and hear it, and we may, we may hear the word that starts with an H, holy. But that's not the word she used. The word she used was the one that starts with the W, holy, which would include all of my physical life, all of my emotional life, all of my spiritual life, all of everything that I have. Turn over to the... The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter number 6. I know you know this verse. Look at it as Jesus is speaking this verse to those people on that hill when he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things shall be added unto you. Notice what Jesus says there. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Devote your life wholly to the kingdom of God. Devote yourself and all of your time and all of your efforts to His kingdom. Be a part and make sure that He is a part of your life. And then, then those blessings will be added to you. If you notice in Matthew 6, 33, 
there are two jobs implied. One, the job that I do. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then secondly, the job that God does and, and he will supply the blessings. Now here's where the rubber meets the road and the tough portion of life begins. There's nothing I can do about job number two. As a matter of fact, there's nothing I need to worry or concern myself over job number two. God will take care of his end. Will I take care of mine? You see, when he says, seek you first, he doesn't say, well, you're going to be blessed, so since you are, make sure that you're... No, 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 no. What if I'm never blessed the way I think I should be on this side of eternity? You see, the problem in that sentence is the way I think I should be. When I regulate how God is going to bless me, when I decide this is what God should do for me because of who I am and, and what I am, well, then I've regulated God out of His job. Turn over to Psalm chapter 56. Psalm chapter 56 and verse number 13. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, Will not thou deliver my feet from falling that I may walk before God as in the light of the living? Well, in Psalm 56, David is writing about physical death and physical life. The source of that is God. And if I have those things, that physical life, uh, purer in heart would direct me, at least in my mindset, to devote that to God. David, throughout the Psalms, would remind me and you that his life was devoted to God. And that's how we should live. When we find him in Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11, what we find there is God, or David rather not speaking of the physical life, but now of the spiritual life. So everything I have should be devoted to him as he will bless me physically and spiritually. Pure in heart, O God, help me to be. May I devote my life wholly to Thee. Watch Thou my wayward feet. Guide me with counsel, sweet. Help me in my physical life. And provide for me in my spiritual life as I devote everything I have to You. Notice verse number 2. Pure in heart, O God, help me to be Teach me to do thy will most lovingly. Be thou my friend and guide. Let me with thee abide. Purer in heart, O God, help me to be. It is a case also once again found in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 21. Jesus would say, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. I want you to notice what Jesus says. There's a contrast between saying and doing. There's a contrast in saying the right thing versus doing the right thing. And as we sing this song, verse 2 teaches me that I should be doing the will of God on this earth. It's interesting to me in the second stanza of this particular song, he writes... 
teach me to do thy will most lovingly. Hmm. There was a two-word phrase that was consistently used, at least in the King James Version, um, as it would reflect how Jesus would look at people. The two-word phrase that, that would be used over and over and over and over again about how Jesus would see people as they would come to him. Jesus, the one who could read their hearts and their minds, know exactly what they wanted even before they opened their mouth. Uh, take, for example, the one they brought to her, brought to him. You know, the one that was caught in adultery in the very act. The one that they said, what are we supposed to do? The law says, stone her. And that's not exactly what the law says, is it? What the law says is stone them. Where is he? That's another fish to fry for another time. He looked at her with compassion. Was she in the wrong? Yes. <laughs> Was it necessary to him or to her that he point that out? What did she need? She needed someone to show compassion. I like to go downtown during the daytime when it's safe and everybody's happy. And I've been here over a year and I still don't understand how water comes out of the ground hot. And every time we touch it, for some reason, like it's going to change. Oh, look at there, it's still hot. And it's, it's just, a, just an amazing uh, glimpse into the glory of God as we look at that. And we walk downtown and we see all of the, the old buildings and the architecture as, as it was made. And, we, and we're the guys who stop and read the signs. Do y'all hate those people? I read them, I don't care. And, and I like to see how... The, the downtown area changed and how, uh, you know, now we don't have to cross over bridges to get to places. It's just an interesting study. And as I went down there the first few times, I would recognize how many homeless people would be there. Now, a year later, I don't recognize them as much. Is it because I expect them to be there? Is it because I just kind of overlook them? I can tell you where I failed as looking at them with compassion. And I probably failed at looking at everybody in the world that way. And I'm probably alone, right? You see, if I'm going to look at them most lovingly the way that Jesus did, if I'm going to do God's will on this earth, I'm going to see the need for compassion toward people. 
in an effort to teach them better. A righteous way of living. Psalm 48 and John 14 also would, would back those ideas up, as Jesus would say, it's not the per person who says it, but rather the person who does it. Look at verse number 3. Purer in heart, O God, help me to be, that I thy holy face one day may see. Keep me from secret sin. Allow thou, uh, thou my soul within. Purer in heart, O God. Help me to be. It's not enough to just live here. It's not enough just to do God's will. I live in a purer state than I did yesterday in order that I may receive a blessing, an eternal blessing from God. Maybe that's selfish of me. Maybe it's hopeful. Maybe I'm looking forward to that blessing of heaven and I can't wait to see it. That I, thy lovely face, thy loving face, one day may see. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 17. As you and I look at this idea found in verse number 3. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you, my son, and you will be sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You're going to have to be different. You're going to have to be different. Let me tell you something that uh, I have heard for years, and I want you to digest this and, and understand this. You can come to God exactly how you are right now, but you can't stay there. You're going to have to change. If you want to be His child, you're going to have to change. If, if I want to be His child, I'm going to have to put away self and, and selfish desires. I'm going to have to come out from among them, and I'm going to have to be separate if I want to see His face. Notice this. You know what God did not say? All right, Church of Christ at 70 West, what I want y'all to do is buy a, a swag of land out here somewhere and everybody live together and be a commune and don't deal with any of the world ever again and you just write them off as everybody in the world's going to hell in a handbasket and, and that's not what he said. See, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 on that Sermon on the Mount, that in verse 13 through 16, that you're to be light in a dark world, that you're to be salt in a tasteless world. Why? So that they can see you and glorify the Father. For what purpose? Just so God will be glorified by everybody? Do you really think God needs his ego stroked by humans? It's not for the fact that God has an ego. It is for the fact that when they see me and glorify my Father, then they may realize the source of happiness, purity, holiness, righteousness, and salvation. Purer in heart, oh God. Help me 
help me to be. If nobody else in, in this particular audience here at the building, if no one else online ever is helped by that, help me. Help me be better. And when my motive is purity, then my actions will be purity. When my mind is purity, then my love will be purity. And you need to understand that when you, you and I sing pure in heart, O oh God, our key and our directive, our motive for that is purity. That we can't live in a cesspool and come out clean. There's an old story back home about a girl who was going to marry a, a very well-known scoundrel in the town. And her father was a coal miner. And he said, well, that's fine. Put on your wedding dress and come with me. And so he put her in his old work truck and she had on her wedding dress, all of her gloves and everything. It looked just stunning. And he took her down into that mine shaft. And they made one little loop. They never touched anything. They came back out. The girl was so distraught, so upset with her father. She came out and that white, beautiful dress was now gray. She was so mad at him for making that dress gray. And he said, sweetheart. That was just the influence that you were around. When we, as the church, live like the world, it's, it's no, it makes no sense for the world to see us any differently. But when we sing this song and pray the prayer of purer in heart, oh God, help me to be, and we realize there's something wrong with the purity of the world. This song is very personal as we sing it and we sing, help me to be. That being the case, then how do I stand before a God that is holy and righteous and all loving and all kind and all merciful? The only way to stand before him is to stand before Him in the regulations that He puts forward. Have you heard what He has to say? Or have you heard a couple of guys talk about what He has to say? So many times people hear what the preacher says and not what the Bible says. If you've heard Him, do you believe it? Do you believe what He says? That, that His promises of, of good to the faithful will come true and that His, his promises of of punishment to the wicked will come true? Do you believe that a pure God expects us to repent of our sin? And it's change our mind that, that results in a change of action? Do you believe that a pure God would send one sacrifice called Christ to this earth, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior, to redeem us, to buy us back to Him. Do you believe that? If you do, would you be baptized? Would you be covered with the blood of Jesus the Christ even today? 
Would you begin to live for Him? And then would you live the rest of your life in a life of purity toward Him? If you're sitting there and you say, Preacher, I would, I would, I would. Well, what's stopping you? There is a pool full of hot or warm water right behind me. There are dry clothes in the closet behind me. You can be a child of God's today, if you would. After all, today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may never come. It might be the fact that you've done those things and, and you say to yourself, well, I've already done those things, yeah, but you haven't lived that life of purity. You, you said that you would and, and some reason you haven't followed through with that. Why not start that life of purity today? Why not live the sentiment, purer in heart, O oh God, help me to be. And why not do that right now while we stand and sing for your encouragement? Yeah.